Like Alessio Romagnoli's challenge on Polo Dybala, we're lunging right into this edition of the Serie A sit-down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio told like it is. Frank Crivello here, and as always with me, Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How are we doing this evening? Better than Alessio Romagnoli. But not as good as Paulo Dybala. <laughs> Just... But not as good as Paulo Dybala, yeah. So somewhere in, be- somewhere in between there. So um, <laughs> if I'd have to say my mood, who was average in that game? Um... Uh, let, let's let me look up my <laughs> let me look up what I have. Uh, yeah, I, all right. We're, we're probably being a little too harsh on him. He has uh, he he did come up with some some big big plays. Uh, I you know kind of like Leo Duarte. <laughs> so you know wasn't wasn't terrible, wasn't good. Uh, you know that kind of thing. Or uh, or Federico Benedeschi, kind of the mood. You know, just kind of. It just kind of average, you know. I mean, I'm not even angry about Milan anymore. I just, like I said last week on, on uh, when we had Jerry, I, I'm used to it. So, how about yourself? How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Uh, crazy weekend. Um, didn't have Saturday off, but I have tomorrow off, so uh, it worked out, right? I guess so. I uh, can't complain. Lots of calcio, and uh, now I guess we got to get used to the international break for the next couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. Just when we were, uh, just when things were heating up and getting uh, somewhat interesting. Here we go with another break, right? So um, that said, uh, it's it's uh, it was an interesting week. Obviously, the you know by brand name, the marquee game was Juventus Milan. But if you took a look at how things were going uh, in the table, Richard, um, you know this isn't your typical Juve Milan game. One team obviously at the top of the table as they have been for the last eight seasons. Juventus Milan trying to figure out who they are now under their second manager this season. Um, you know, so we'll lead with. We're going to start with that. We'll talk about the rest of match week twelve. Uh, we will uh, break down just what the heck is happening in Europe. Um, some uh, indifferent results going on in the Champions League and in the Europa leagues, uh, jeopardizing some some positions for the Serie A teams. And then uh, we'll finish off uh, talking about uh, Mancini's call-ups for the. Uh, well-glorified friendlies against Bosnia-Herzegovina uh, and Armenia uh, as Italy has qualified for Euro 2020. So we'll uh, take a deep dive into the squad that Mancini's put together, some uh, in, some first-time call-ups getting the nod, which will be excited to, uh, exciting to see. Um, Richard, uh, Juventus and Milan, let's start there. Uh, that just got done here a few hours ago from where we sit. Um, again, Juve top of the table, uh, or was second going in. If, if you if you want to look at it, Inter was holding first position until this match happened. Uh, Milan uh, struggling uh, at the top part of the bottom half of the table, uh, desperate for points of any kind, trying to get their season kickstarted. Uh, so. The odds were totally going to be in Juventus's favor. Milan struggling for results, struggling to get any kind of form against teams that are ahead of them. Uh, already have losses to Roma, to not to Lazio, uh, to Inter, um, to Fiorentina, uh, just to name a few. They lost to Torino. So I mean, teams that are ahead of them, Udinese. I mean, these are all teams that are ahead of Milan, <laughs> and have all beaten them. Uh, so fair to say, Milan is exactly where they belong right now on the table. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Uh, the teams that are above them all deserve to be above them, and, and Milan have a lot of work to do 
uh, to try to catch up. And so they're they're probably exactly where they should be in the table. Uh, the teams below them are just slightly worse off than them. Uh, you can make a make a case for Bologna, but uh, other than that, yeah, they're uh, those are pretty much the only teams that are playing better than them or worse than them at the at the moment. Sure, um, it's an interesting one for me because you know you look at Juventus now; they are in a seesaw right now with the Inter for top spot, um, and it's turning in as we as we get deeper into this. It's turning into a two team race for the Scudetto with everybody else seemingly cannibalizing each other uh, along the way. Um, but uh, Juventus, if this was going to be a chance for Milan to win against Juventus at the J, you had Juve coming back from that trip uh, to Russia, uh, not particularly in the greatest of health and maybe just getting their eye on the international break where some guys can rest and recover. Uh, some guys can you know, get ready for uh, some international games they're going to have coming up, getting called up for their countries. Um, this might be the tr- perfect trap for Milan to possibly trip up uh, and get points here against Juventus. Yeah, and M- Milan do have a history of playing up to their opponents as well, so they had that going in their favor as well. And so um, it's a perfect opportunity to play Juventus because um, – you knew going into this one that they would not be firing in all cylinders, whether it be because of a trap game, as you mentioned, or because of the injuries um, that 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 did you know pop up throughout the, the last couple of games or so. So um, it would have been a perfect opportunity for Milan to try to step up and 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 steal some points uh, from Juve and uh, give them at least all they could all they can take. Yep, for sure. Okay, so let's look at the lineups. Uh, Juve with Chesney and goal, uh, Cuadrado, the deputy right back, uh, Leonardo Bonucci, Matias Delic, Alexandro, uh, Bentoncourt getting the start with Pjanic and Blaise Matuidi, Bernardeschi listed in between, uh, Iguain and Ronaldo. And just from where he played, he seemed like he was in a lot of different positions just from the ground that he covered in this game, mainly, mainly operated on the right-hand side coming in with his left, but he certainly did move over, uh, to the left flank in certain situations didn't play with a great deal of range. I mean, the lineup that I'm looking at shows him as a trequartista. He wasn't that. He was playing on the right. You know, Gonzalo Higuain uh, in a striker's role. Ronaldo, they tried uh, spreading all over the place as well. So essentially it was a three-man attack. It's just a matter of depending on the minute of the game of where they were all positioned. So it was Benedeschi, Higuain, and Ronaldo. Um, par for the course. Uh, surprise, Bernardeschi getting the nod over, say, Dybala, or um, does this feel like a at least a stable lineup going in against a team like Milan. I think it's a stable lineup uh, going against a team like where position where Milan is positioned because you didn't really need all your horses. You didn't need uh, Douglas Costa or DiBala to start because again, it's a team that's on the lower end of the table. So uh, it's a pretty standard lineup, I think. And where Ronaldo ended up playing for most of the game is probably probably a smart move by Sadi because they there's a weakness in Milan's right back position and he they wanted to exploit it through Ronaldo and. Um, there's no be- has hardly no better player in the world that you would rather have trying to exploit a weakness of a team than Ronaldo. So um, it made it made perfect sense to me, honestly. Um, Milan with Donnarumma, uh, Andrea Conti getting the start at right back with uh, Duarte and yeah. Romagnoli in the uh, center of defense. Teo Hernandez on the left, a midfield of Paqueta, Benacer, and Krunic. Uh, and then in attack, you had uh, Suzo and Chalhanolu flanking Christoph Piantic. Um, this, I'm, I I argue this right now, Richard. This, you know, probably Musacchio in for Duarte. But this is the best eleven that Milan have right now. For all the cracks I've made about Suzo, um, 
you know, yeah, Rafael Leal might have something to say about this uh, when he can really get his legs under him. John, uh, Bonaventura might have something to say about this. Kessie might have something to say about this. But, you know, from from a talent standpoint, from a versatility standpoint, to me, this feels right. This feels like the best 11 that uh, Stefano Pioli can put out there. Yeah, and, uh, it, it made sense that he, you know, continued on with Paqueta and Krunic in the midfield along with Ben Acer. Ben Acer has been stronger every game, as we've been mentioning the last couple of weeks. Um, and, and so it's good to see Krunic out there get some consistency. But up top, I mean, while we made, we made plenty of re- remarks on Suzo and Chalanolu, they've been the most consistent, or at least Chalanolu has been the most consistent of the, of the Milan players, and Suzo is at least scoring goals. So um, you need to get them out there to give you some kind of chance to try to to get a to get a win in a game or get some points, you know. So uh, I think this is this is a pretty pretty strong lineup for Milan. Um, obviously, you know, fans will have uh, their favorites that they'd rather come in, like some of the ones you mentioned. But uh, you know, based on the, how the season's gone so far and what's what these players have produced, this is probably the one of the better eleven that you can get from Milan. Yeah, I mean, just uh, looking at how this uh, game game got going. It would be Milan that would have more chances. Uh, Iguain nearly snuck it past Donnarumma at the near post as a key chance in the first half um, that nearly put Juve up early on in the game. Donnarumma alert there. I think he had the credit to goalkeeping. I think both keepers were sharp in this first half. They were called on to make some saves. Chesney was forced into three saves. Um, and then uh, uh, Donnarumma making two, including the one we talked about there early on with Iguain. Uh Milan's method and Milan's approach to this game, you know, you heard at least our commentators were talking about how they seem to want to just really slow this thing down, uh, not get into a a match where they're, you know, trying to play Saudi ball against Saudi's team, I guess, or anything remotely close to that. But when you look at how Milan did here and uh, biggest save from Chesney in the first half, the save on Paqueta, because that was a tricky header to deal with, uh, you know, from where he put it. Uh, this was the ball that Andrea Conti played back to him. Um, you know, so there we pointed it out. But goalkeepers were called on early in this game. They were probably the best performing players in the first half because of the job that they did to make this game and keep this game scoreless. But Milan's approach, I mean, it was deliberate. They they had an intent for how they wanted to play. They were going to take their time with set pieces. They weren't going to be in a hurry to put the ball down and play quick. They wanted to try to shrink this game as much as they possibly could. How did you feel about how Pioli approached it? I was uh, rather impressed with the way they, they they approached it because you have a wounded animal in Juventus, you know, not, obviously not firing and off on cylinders, and so you you go after them and try to take the game to them. And um, I heard many uh, Juventus fans on, on Twitter saying, you know. Oh, you know, this is why you know this is probably our best signing we've had in the last in, in the last uh, Agnelli era, basically, because he's just come so big and big, and each game, each, each season, he seems to get better and better. Um, and it's the reason why like Buffon left the club is because Chesney's Chesney was uh, just playing that well, and he's continued to play that well, making the big saves, three saves, like you said, in the first half, and then on the other end too, you had Donnarumma making big saves. But um, I love the approach uh, by Milan in the, in the first forty-five, and and really making Juve, uh, you know. Think, think, think about how they want to play the game because uh, they realized that really quickly that Milan were there to try to get all three points. And if it wasn't for Chesney, it could be a different story. Yeah, for sure, um, for sure. I want to talk about. Um, you know, okay, so it was nil nil going into the half. The very thing I tweeted is once uh, the DiBala substitution happened, and then followed by the Douglas Costa substitution. And I said, like, it just feels like, and, and 
And uh, I'm I'm sorry to my fellow Milan fans that that tweet uh, uh, didn't age poorly. Uh, that it was that it ended up being right on. But when those substitutions were being made, when you take a look at who Saudi was bringing in off the bench, you took a look at it and said, Juventus are going to win this game on the substitutions. As it seems, Juventus have have won these last several games against Milan. It's come down to their ability. Uh, to substitute and bring in depth and bring in, and we talked about this last week, and Gary Bertels talked about this last week in the Lazio-Milan game, difference makers coming in for difference makers, essentially, okay? You know, where Milan were making substitutions like um, Bonaventura uh, coming in for uh, Krunic, a like-for-like, and Leao coming in for Piantic. So, uh, an un, still relatively unproven going in for a player, you know, who we might have. I'm worried that we may have possibly seen his best form. We may never see the Christoph Piantic we saw, you know, in the first half of last season, kind of carrying into that, uh, you know, second half of the season. So um, the substitutions clearly, and then some of it was out of necessity. Cristiano Ronaldo struggling with his knee again. He actually was substituted off in the Champions League against Lokomotiv Moscow. So Paulo Dybala comes on and like in the 55th minute. Six minutes later, it's Douglas Costa coming on for Benedeschi. And right there, you take a look at it and say, if the game's going to be won, it's going to be won because of those substitutions. Yeah, for sure. And uh, first, I want to give a shout-out to Craig Burnley because I never give a shout-out to this guy because I don't, I don't really particularly like him. But he did say in halftime, he's like, you know, this is probably going to be a winner from Ronaldo in the 78th minute. And, and really, it was the guy who's, who got substituted on for him, Dybala. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's you look at Ju- Juventus, and they got three superstar subs coming off the bench. And Milan cannot say the same. I mean, while we you know while we like Bonaventura and, and Leao and, and Ante Rebic, uh, they are no, um, they're no Dybala, Douglas Costa, or or, or um, Adrian Rabiot. So that, that's something you got to advantage. And this is, you know, Milan fans can probably remember the days when they could say they brought three superstars off the bench, and, and it's been a long time coming. So now their 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 team is pretty mediocre in terms of players, and so now they get to see what Juventus is like because this is what they used to do to teams back in the day. So um, yeah, the substitutions were always going to make an impact in the game, and especially those players coming on. Two of them are probably starters for sure, you know, for, for Sadi. So uh, you knew it was going to be some tough times for Milan, and uh, Donnarumma would have to come big if they are going to have any kind of chance in that in the second half. And sure enough, that's exactly uh, how it played out. Um, Paulo Dybala able to work his way through uh, the uh, Matador defense of Alessio Romagnoli. Uh, just was I, I I I can talk about that for a long time. That was just that was poor all the way around, uh, but it was a a lunging effort at best from Alessio Romagnoli. Very casual, not typical of what we've seen from the Milan captain. But lo and behold, DiBala works his way around that. Only has Donnarumma to beat, and he makes no mistake and makes the difference for Juventus with the goal uh, to put them ahead by a goal to nil and to put them on to put them on the way to the three points and top of the table great finish from Dybala but are, this is this is what we're going to have to grin and bear as Milan supporters like us are going to have to grin and bear with Milan this season forget about Europe just see if this team can play better see if they can come overcome a lot of the mental mistakes much like this one okay and show that you can overcome them because that was the one against Juventus you had to play a perfect game 
And there was no time to be casual at any moment. And that was the worst time to be casual. And it cost Romagnoli. And we're talking about a guy. We're talking about the captain. We're ta- and we're talking about a guy that we normally don't say these things about. It's It was crazy that he's the one that pops up to make the mistake that costs Milan any part of this game. Yeah, and you also got to give a little bit of credit to Dybala too because he made well, not 90% of the time when he goes for that move, he'll go for the left-footed shot. And this time... He anticipated Romagnoli jumping on that, in which he did. So he went to his right foot and scored that goal. So, but Romagnoli needs to do better in that situation. It doesn't matter if you know this guy is a left-footed player and always goes to that shot. You need to be better than that and not sell yourself out like he did. And he, he just looked like a shambolic player. Like it looked like a um, Milan banter era defensive and uh, defensive back right there. So uh, he needs to do better. And we don't we don't normally say that about him. But um, towards the end of the game, he kind of struggled. And I think Douglas Costa had a uh, made him look pretty bad a little bit later on. So uh, luckily that didn't result in a goal. But yeah, it's uh, it's uh, everyone and everyone on the team has been having uh, stupid plays, if you will, and making boneheaded plays. So the captain is not without. Uh, I'm looking at this goal right now, so I'm going to talk everyone through what's going on here and how the goal came about. It starts with Douglas Costa on the left flank, uh, Milan's right flank. Uh, being defended 1v1 with Andrea Conti. I like Conti's positioning here because he's in a spot where he's trying to defend outside in. He wants to bring him back into where the midfielders are. He doesn't want Costa to try to... If he tries to force him to the touchline, Costa's just going to beat him in a foot race to the end line and cut the ball back. So Conti is looking for the help from the midfielder, which he gets, and he brings Costa into the middle, which is good, okay? Uh, Midfielder there, which I believe was Bonaventura, took a lunge at Costa. Uh, misses. Costa is able to continue. Has some space now. It's approached by. Uh, it looks like Duarte comes out. No, that's not Duarte. I'm sorry. That's uh, Paqueta that comes out. So Souza was the one who tried to take the lunge at Douglas Costa. Figures. Um, and now you've got uh, Douglas Costa is about 35 yards away from goal in the middle. Paqueta uh, is confronting him. Okay. Now Costa comes into the middle again one more time. Now. Bonaventura is just a little too high here. And if we look, you know, and people are going to have to visualize this. There's exactly the kind of space for Costa to go ahead and split uh, uh, Paqueta and Bonaventura. And Benacer is in a decent position to try to get the pass. But there's enough pace on it to where it can get to Dybala. Dybala will knock it back into the midfielder. And then it's and then what happens is, is Benacer's chasing, it stretches the midfield out, and now Iguain will sit in between the midfield and the defenders. The ball comes into him first time, okay? And Iguain just sits there, and he lays it off to Dybala. So how can Milan defend that a little bit better? Um, if Benacer stays home, that, pat, that ball into Iguain probably doesn't happen. And whoever this midfielder is that, ha- that, that played that ball in, I can't tell from the because i got a pretty small video here he's probably forced to play the ball out wide to quadrado uh but benacer gets caught chasing so we can we can maybe pick on benacer's a little a little bit for his a little bit of eagerness to chase the ball but then here's the interesting thing richard as i'm looking at this bonaventura is in a is in a high position and is not even anywhere near any of these guys okay he's closer to the forwards okay so when we're looking at all of this Benacer is forced to chase out of position because Bonaventura is not staying in the midfield shape where they can do some damage and try to win the ball in that area. So, and Juventus are going to punish you when they get when 
one player just takes a playoff every time. In this case, Bonaventura is too high. Benacer is forced to chase. The ball comes inside to D- to Iguain, who just lays it off neatly for Dybala. And it's just an isolated 1v1 with Romagnoli, where Romagnoli just lunges at him. So I don't know if you were watching this at the same time I was, but that's what I'm that's what I'm looking at with all of that. Yeah, and and, you, and it's it's kind of perfect isolation there. You'd want the ball against anybody really, uh, maybe except for with the exception of Koulibaly. Um, so the versus the defenders is, is advantage for Dybala, and you know he's going to eat that up. Whether he gets a goal or not is another question, but he he plays that perfectly with his weaker foot, and so um, brilliant play, brilliant team passing there, quick passes there as you mentioned uh, by Juventus to get that goal. Yep, indeed. So. That's the goal. That's the win. We're trying to break it down a little bit tactically. I think that, you know, before we go after Romagnoli defensively, that midfielder got caught, that the the, the three-man midfield kind of got caught chasing shadows a little bit. And I think a lot of it had to do with Bonaventura. And I don't know if that was a coach's instruction to say, try to play, try to remain a little bit higher. We'll take our chances. If we win it, we'll get it to you. And then you link up with the, you know, with the forwards, with Chalanolu, with, with Leao. Um, but it was just, it was an interesting dynamic to see how the midfield just got broken down on that play um it started well anytime where you can go get douglas costa going square and backwards it's good um but but then the rest of the midfield shape just kind of got caught out of position a lot of it a lot of it was bonaventura just really being in half-hearted positions um and then forcing benacer uh to chase a little bit and then by him chasing that let's Iguain sit between the lines and get the ball and be able to play one time to, uh, to Dybala. And then just, he's one V, like I said, he's one V one with Romagnoli. And, uh, the one thing that I also mentioned on Twitter, uh, was where was the supporting defense from the left side? Where was Teo Hernandez? Oh, there's a reason why Cuadrado is hanging out all the way on the right hand side. You're trying to stretch Teo in that situation. So he can't come over and help Romagnoli there. If, you know, if Dybala beats him. So, uh, very good reading of the game by Juventus to see Milan getting out of shape and out of position. But, you know, we can chase Romagnoli for what he did because I think the individual defending should have been better, could have been better, typically is. Um, but I think we also got to call out Milan's midfield on that on that goal as well. Uh, getting caught out of position, largely starting from Bonaventura. And uh, you wonder, because he he had just came on not too long before that, uh, whether the instructions by, from Pioli were to kind of cheat a little bit defensively so you can get the, the break, if there is a break uh, for, for Milan. Um, you wonder if that is it, or just Bonaventura missing his defensive uh, his defensive responsibilities. Because typically he's a, a responsible d- defensive player. Um, but maybe, I mean, I don't know, it could have been him or it could have been Pioli. Who knows if it, what, what was the game plan. But either way, it kind of started with him, as you said, and, and kind of trickled downwards, eventually uh, leading to Romagnoli. Yep. Um, I thought uh, Chesney was the best player for Juventus in this game. Not, you know, Dybala's goal notwithstanding. He made some key saves down the stretch, especially late in the game. Milan had some stinging chances that he was forced to palm away. Uh, but came up with some saves here toward, uh, you know, down the stretch. Um, trying to remember off the top of my head where those shots came from, but Chalanolo, I know, forced him into a big, into a big save. Um, yeah, he did. With a shot from distance. So for me, I thought Chesney was man of the match. Um, obviously, Dybala coming in off the bench and putting in the performance that he did, uh, coming up with the goal. He's right up there. Uh, and I think the other guy that I think you got to give a lot of attention to, I thought Miralem Pjanic, 
pulling the strings as usual when Juventus was in possession. I thought he was terrific um, from the midfield, trying to create some things, did some key things. Um, you know, he won five tackles. Uh, you know, we, we think when we think of Miralem Pjanic, we think of this silky passer that helps the team keep the ball, that pulls the strings, that dictates things from a deep lying position in the midfield. We don't think of him much as a ball winner, do we? No, no, but uh, this this guy can really do it all, and uh, it's kind of what Sadi looks for in his uh, regista role as a guy who can do really everything. Now, not only do it offensively and, and spread the ball around, silky as you say, but also defensively get the ball when it needs it and, and make the make, make the timely tackles. And so, uh, Pjanic is certainly a fantastic player, and Juve uh, uh, are certainly better with him there than without him. So, uh, definitely a uh, a stalwart for the for the champions. Yep. Um... For Milan, uh, you know, hats off to Andrea Conti. I thought he played well. I yes, mean, this probably was, was fantastic. his. This was his best game in a Milan shirt. Um, I thought. I thought you get and you, right now. This is what you're looking for as a Milan supporter. You're looking for the positives. I thought Ismail Benacer was really good. I think that he's continuing to get better in that role uh, for Milan. And the more he gets better, the more we'll see him play it regularly. Um, you know, I think that there were some naive defensive decisions from him early on, uh, starting from Milan under, under Giampaolo that seems to be cleaning up a little bit. I can't totally blame him uh, for the events that led to the goal here because I think that Bonaventura has some responsibility to be of help, and he wasn't. Uh, but I thought that he is, is certainly a player that's getting better, getting more acclimated. Donnarumma kept Milan in this game, obviously, with some, with some important saves. Um, struggling to say it. Souza was pretty good. <laughs> he wasn't great. Because if he was great, there'd be goals on the board. You know, but I saw a little bit more improvement. I saw him trying to find people a little bit more. Um, I didn't see him, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that Huey weren't going to let him do it. Uh, his cut-in with the left, where he wants to shoot from distance, Huey uh, were prepared for that. So he was forced to pass the ball a little bit and involve other people. I thought he did. I thought he did a decent enough job of that. Yeah, he's he was certainly more involved than he had been uh, at, for all, all season long, really. So um, it's good because you you know a team like Juventus is gonna is gonna hone in on what his strengths are, and his strengths are cutting to the left, and so he's got to find other ways. If he wants to be a valuable contributor to the team, then he'll need to. Uh, you know, distribute the ball as you said, and, and find find his teammates. And I think he did. And and you know, uh, overall, it's uh, I got I got to agree with you that he uh, he played pretty well. Yep. Okay, so here's here's how we got to look at this right now. I mean, Juventus and in, Inter right now. It's twelve games in. It's a two horse race. There might be an opportunity for somebody to come in and make this a three team race. But for all intents and purposes, this comes down to Juve and Inter. And that makes Juve's win at Inter that much more important as they go on uh, looking to win yet another Scudetto. It certainly does. Uh, they already got the advantage against the head-to-head, so uh, now it's really up to Inter to serve par when they when they rematch uh, in the second half of the season. So we'll see. Uh, but those two right now, um, there's definitely the, the, the top two dogs in the race. You know, We'll see if the, the three, four, and five teams can – can make it interesting, but at the moment, they're, these two are pulling away from everybody else, and it's uh, they're the they're the clear um, they're clearly better than everyone else at the moment. I think they're just the most consistent. Uh, Inter certainly and as absolutely Juventus, though it hasn't been pretty with Juventus all the time. They're getting results as they always do. So uh, kudos to both these teams. Yep, indeed. <sighs> Milan, um, 
here's what I want to say. Okay. I, I think that it's getting better. I think when you, if, 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 if people are actually people, the casual fan that's not watching Milan games are looking at it, oh, Milan lost again. Okay, and that's fine, and I get it if you think that Milan are just in trouble and screwed and all that other stuff if you're going to limit yourself to that. But watching these games under Pioli, I see an identity in terms of how they want to play. I see a style. I see performance that I did not see with Giampaolo. And I th- we're, we're, we're back to exactly what we talked about with Lazio. There aren't the difference makers there. Look at what look at what Juve did just in this game. Dybala comes in off the bench. Douglas Costa comes in off the bench. They had Ronaldo starting. They had Iguain starting. They had Benedeschi. Okay. Um, they have the veteran players and guys like um, Pjanic, Benucci, uh, Alexandro, the guys with the know-how uh, that have been through these games. Milan are fielding a very very young team without a guy out there that you can look to and say, it's, hey, we got this. Let's, you know, we, I, I've been in this situation before. I can handle this. This is a trial by fire for this Milan team. The only thing that's prohibiting them is some of these individual errors that you, you, you scratch your head at them because, you, you know, I, I, coach, I coach my son's eight-year-old boys team, seven, boy, a team of seven and eight-year-old boys, I expect seven, eight-year-old boys to make the mistakes that these young professionals are making. And it can only be so long that we look at it and say, hey, this is just youth and inexperience. Eventually, they're going to correct this because it's the patience of a fan base that's wearing increasingly thin. And in most cases, when you read some Milan fans on Twitter, they say, I'm numb to it. I I don't expect anything else. He had uh, Martino Puccio said, I fully expected us to lose this way. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's to the point where this is what we're expecting week in and week out. Milan supporters are expecting this now week in and week out. And it's time for these kids to grow up. There isn't a veteran to look. To, so somebody's going to have to step up and take that responsibility. There isn't a difference maker that you can go out and rely on. Somebody's going to have to step up and take that responsibility. Okay. And until those two personalities turn out in this Milan team, 14th is going to be the norm. Yeah, you look back at to uh, last year or when last year when Pioli was with uh, Fiorentina, and it's eerily similar. You had two teams who have you know have talent that they shouldn't be in the bottom of the, bottom of the table, and then you know possibly flirting with relegation. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm going to argue that they do have some difference makers. They're not to the level of you know any Mobile or anybody from Juventus. But you know, it's just these guys aren't performing. Souza's not performing. Piantic's not performing. You got some guys that have had history with, uh, with performance, and they just can't do it this year. Whether they're not, you know, maybe they're under another system before that, you know, they were uh, succeeding, and now they're just now uh, can't adapt to this system. I don't know, but uh, for sure, those, you know, the, the a lot of the most of the players on Milan, they're they're not performing to the standard that we all would like them to, and. Uh, because of that, the team is in a place where they should be in 14th, and there shouldn't be any shouldn't, shouldn't be higher than anybody above them. And the team yep. below them, they're not they're not a little bit better than those. Sure, sure. So if they can overcome some of these mental blocks, they'd have at least five more points than they have right now, and we'd be talking about them sitting in 
you know, seventh or eighth position. I mean, these these mental mistakes, these young player, youth and inexperienced mistakes are costing them valuable points. Uh, the nice thing is, the redeeming thing is, it's only 12 games into the season. There's a long, long way to go. And it might be a little bit desperate and it might be a little bit far-reaching to think this team can make a Champions League place or a Europa League place. But there's plenty of time to accumulate points and there's plenty of time to overcome you know, the mistakes that this Milan team are making uh, to get to the, uh, you know, to still perhaps reach some kind of goal of European football. It's it's a lot to ask right now considering the table that position they're in. But the good news is, is that there's still 26 matches left for them to play. Yeah, and so uh, now is as good a time as any uh, coming after this international break to really start making waves and, and claw their way back into – um, at least mid table for now, and if if they keep continue continue on past that, if they can, but uh, they gotta they gotta start pushing now because we can only see this for so long. Uh, you know, with ten games remaining, then we'll then we'll see what really what the teams are made of. But uh, yeah, plenty of time right now. So twelve twelve games in, uh, they got a whole season ahead of them. Yep. Let's see. I mean, it'll, they come. It, it doesn't get easy coming out of the international break. They deal with Napoli. Uh, so. And uh, as uh, I'm getting ready to uh, explain in my batch of games that I'm going to review, uh, they've got a whole bunch of their own issues. So and we'll get ready to talk about them here as we get ready to batch Match Week 12. All right. And the action began Friday, Sassuolo and Bologna. Yes, you saw with with two names like that, you knew it was going to be exciting. You knew there was going to be goals. There was going to be chances. There were goal there were goals and there were chances in this game from both teams, mainly from the home side, though. I watched this one. Uh Sassuolo uh winning this three one over Bologna. Uh my cousin coming through with a brace, uh, ending a poor run of form. Uh getting a goal in the thirty-fourth minute uh after uh Juricic, uh did an overhead kick that I think he intended to be a shot, got next to nothing on it, and it happily fell to Caputo, who scored. Uh, Jeremy Boga in the 68th minute, just showing how pacey he is. Um, after getting played through by Kyriakopoulos, the uh, left back, uh, Caputo would get that brace in the 75th minute, a Ricardo Orsolini goal in the 70th for uh, Bologna, but Sassuolo getting the three points looked rather impressive in doing so. Uh, Saturday, Opened with Brescia hosting Torino. It was a 4-0 win for Torino. It was a uh, pair of penalties for Bolotti in the 17th and 26th minute. Uh, and then Baron Gare coming on uh, in the to, to get a brace himself. 75th and 80th minute. The 75th minute goal, a goal of the week candidate. Um, Matteo is Mateju uh, for Brescia, shown red in this game. Uh, Balotelli lasted a half. Uh, and came off in the 46th minute. I have no idea why um, or if there was anything to that. Uh, didn't show that he was injured, so uh, we'll have, something we'll have to keep an eye on. Inter hosting Verona, uh, and it was actually Verona going ahead through a Vere penalty in the 19th minute, uh, and then it would be Vecino in the 65th minute, and then the winner coming from, from coming from some scrub from Cagliari, if uh, you <laughs> talk to Antonio Conte about him, uh, Nicolo Barella with my pick for goal of the week in the 83rd minute, just because it's like, oh, I'm a scrub, huh? <laughs> so uh, gets the Nerazzurri the win, uh, two goals to one. Uh, and then rounding out Saturday's games, Napoli nil, Genoa nil, Radu with seven saves. Um, and this only scratches the surface, Richard. Just what the hell is going on with Napoli? 
Yeah, I don't know really. It's it's many things, not just one thing. Um, it's starting to look like the end of uh, Ancelotti's reign while he was at Bayern Munich. It's just you know the, the players aren't responding well to, to Ancelotti. I don't know. Um, obviously, the, there's issues with the owner, and the owner's not getting well with the with the with the manager or the team, and it's just a whole mess of things. And nobody's performing. Nobody's. They're all snake bitten there at Napoli while they're you know, they're playing beautifully. They just can't get the goal, uh, any goals at the moment, and so. Um, it's a whole mess of stuff going on in Napoli, and and it's hard to scratch, you know, because right now they're what seventh place with nineteen points. So they're they're not even close to the to the top dog. So this is very unlike Napoli. Not something what any of us are accustomed to. No, not at all. And uh, it's just it's just strange um, how it's all been going. It, it's um, it's it's. Uh, you know, the, you know, De Laurentiis makes them go into Retiro ahead of their Champions League game against Salzburg. Uh, they get done with that, and then Ancelotti, some, some Ancelotti players, they don't want to do it anymore. And then you got, you know, our friend Ken uh, Ciofredi from uh, Far From Vesuvius saying that it might be time to change managers. You got Far From Vesuvius taking a poll that after that nil-nil draw with Genoa, they think, you know, followers of Far From Vesuvius, 53-47 on a vote there. Uh, guys, I hope you don't mind me using your poll um, as reference. I'm going to reference you guys. It was on your it was on your Twitter account because we we reference people. We just don't steal their information. Um, but anyway, 53 uh, percent say no. Ancelotti shouldn't stay on as manager. I am just I'm astounded by that. You know, I just I think that uh, you know, <laughs> in y- you get. You, you, everybody has a dip in form. I mean, Milan have had a dip in form for almost a decade now. <laughs> um, you know, and team good teams go through a struggle. And you know, Napoli under De Laurentiis, let's just put into perspective what they were. I mean, before De Laurentiis, okay. And let's put in, you know, let's 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 evaluate things. Let's let's talk about this, Richard, because they're not. It's not, uh, you know, it's not like that they've had this longstanding. They're not, they don't have Juventus's history. You know, at some point, a dip in form, a, you know, a dip in quality, you're going to have these good times under Carlo Ancelotti and all of this other stuff. Um, and things were going really well for them through the, you know, through the year, and they were able to finish second last season. But look at what happened to him at Bayern. All right, he had a great season at Bayern, won the won the Bundesliga, and then wore out his welcome. And maybe this is the Carlo Ancelotti we have now. But then this also speaks to a bigger issue here with Napoli. Maybe this is just a time for them to have a dip in form. And Napoli fans are not going to want to hear me say that. But maybe this is their time to struggle. Struggle, struggle. They are. I mean, guys like Insigne, who was everybody's, you know, every Neapolitan's favorite. Uh, he's struggling mightily now, and guys are calling for him to, you know, to be benched, and um, so many different things going on. And uh, yeah, it, it, you know, every team, like you said, gets a dip in form unless you're Juventus, and so you got to ride through that wave and continue on past it. Um, they're not, they're not that terribly far out that they, you know, it's unreachable for them to get back in the Champions League spot because they're, they're certainly can, more than capable of of getting there. Um, I understand why they 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 chose. You know, fifty-three percent to choose um, for him to go is probably because they know that a change needs to happen. They just don't know what kind of change it is, and whether that means you know changing the manager or changing players or whatever, something's got to happen. I, I think maybe changing the manager is a little drastic. I think you know, um, it's it's more has to do with personnel. I think, and I think maybe 
maybe benching Insigne and some of these other guys, trying trying to give some of the youngsters an opportunity. Uh, just try something different because uh, obviously, you know, being snake bitten is not helping things out. And so if you can maybe get some different different bodies up there in the lineup, uh, maybe they can uh, one goal will go in and then it'll be a, a trickle effect from there. So. I think it's a little little too early to hit the panic button, but I can see where they're going, and they're just not used to this dip that the, that they're currently on. And uh, unfortunately, all teams go through this, and so this you got to ride through it. Unfortunately, and let's see, we'll see what happens, but uh, it doesn't look good at, at the present. Should Ancelotti lose his job? He shouldn't. I don't think so. I don't. Th- I don't. I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think what's going on in Napoli all of a sudden speaks to. Um, Speaks to him getting sacked. I think they're. I think they've hit a bad patch of form, and I think that it would be a criminal mistake if they go and sack him now. That's just my own personal take on this. Okay, everybody's going to have their struggles at some point in the season. This is Napoli's time to have their struggles. Okay, and let's let's take a look at the schedule that they've played. Um, okay, they, they and let's go all the way back to when they won at Red Bull Salzburg. First of all, they have played six games. In the space of what two and a half weeks? Okay, so yeah. they're basically playing a game every three days. All right, so it's a heavy workload. Um, they beat Red Bull Salzburg three two. They go to Spall and they draw one one. Okay, first of all, Spall's very tough at home. Okay, you know, and <clears throat> they should have beaten Sampdoria. I watched that game on. I watched that game last Monday. Um, and Sampdoria stole. You know, snuck out of there with a goal and scored. You know, at the very end of the game. So you've got that. They draw with Atalanta 2-2. That's not a crime anymore, okay, with the way Atalanta play. Um, they lost at Roma uh, two goals to one, okay, a, a Roma team that maddeningly inconsistent but at least play well at the Olimpico. And then they draw Red Bull Salzburg 1-1, and I don't know if Napoli expected to absolutely blow that team out. I don't know if they watch Red Bull Salzburg play. If they've watched them play prior or, or if they just see the name and think they're just going to win, I mean, they should know them from the Europa League last year, too. Or, I mean, was it, or was it Lazio that played them in the Europa League last Lazio. year? Lazio. Lazio. Okay, excuse me. Uh, but, I mean, this is a challenging fixture list to try to play every three days. Are we being a little, are we being a little too harsh on a Genoa team that's better under Thiago Mota yeah. here all of a sudden? So, this is harsh. All right, and to just say Ancelotti needs to be sacked is to me that's that's inaccurate. That's not that's not that's not going to be the right way to go about things, and I think it's going to send the wrong message. Yeah, absolutely, and and really, if you, if they should work, they should hold off on any kind of talk about any kind of movement because they got a soft schedule coming up until Christmas. I mean, other than the Liverpool match, they play Milan bottom of the table, they play Bologna bottom of the table, Udinese bottom of the table. Genk doesn't scare anybody, and then you got a couple games before Christmas: Parma, who are in the top half of the table, and Sassuolo, who play fun, fun bad. So it's a very soft schedule for Napoli. If they struggle with that schedule, then I can hear you no know, talks beginning or whatever. But it's way too early at the moment. Um, it's just a dip in form, and let's let's see how these next you know handful of games over the next couple months go because um, these are perfect teams that they can play against and and really get back on track and get that swagger back that they they so need. The Liverpool match will be a little interesting with them. Uh, see if they can get up for that game. But the rest of them, it should be uh, fairly straightforward for them. I'm just going through Napoli's performances and looking through their stats from these last run of games. Just bear with me. Um, and I'll go back to I'll start with that Red Bull Salzburg game. Okay, first of all, I mean they got put through the they got put through the meat grinder against them. 
they were outshot 18 to 12 in that game and came away winning 3-2. Okay, so there's that. Against Atalanta, uh, had nine shots on target to Atalanta's four. Okay, you know, 2-2 two, 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 two draw. Uh, possession was balanced in that game. Uh, defeat to Roma. Had more of the possession. Chances were equal. Roma hit. Roma played a counterattacking game against them. Hit them on the break, but they had the possession. They controlled the. They controlled the match at least, controlling the attack, you know, and seeing more of the ball than their opponent did. Okay, the home game against Red Bull Salzburg. I mean, come on, it was a one-one draw. They outshot Red Bull Salzburg twenty-nine to twelve. And Red Bull's a good team. <laughs> okay, they're a good team. And 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 Red Bull Salzburg's a damn good team. And you know. I don't know if – Carlo Ancelotti can't go out on the pitch and score goals, and if you want him to, go look up the goal that he scored against Real Madrid in the Champions League semifinals, <laughs> okay, back in, uh, back in 89, uh, if, you guys, if, if you guys want to continue to complain about Ancelotti. But he can't, he can't go out and score. He's not, that's not his job. But he, puts, he, he schemes the team tactically, prepares the team tactically to score goals. you got 29 chances. That's on the players, okay? That's not on Ancelotti. All right, and then Napoli against Genoa. Seven shots on target. Outshot Genoa 19 to 12. Genoa had more of the ball. All right, fine. Where does where did did Genoa hurt hurt with their possession? Absolutely not. Okay, but seven chances on to, on target. Okay. Sometimes you just tip your cap to the other team's goalkeeper and say, "Well done, you kept us out." None of this is none of this is sackable to me. None of it. So Ken and Rafa and everybody over there at Far From Missouri, I love you guys. Love love your podcast. Love having you guys on. Let's pump the brakes on sacking Ancelotti just a little bit. And I'm not saying that because you got us next. Um, I'm saying that because I don't think that I don't think that this is sackable. So, what happened with Giampaolo? That was sackable. Okay. Uh, and then what happened with Eusebio uh, Di Francesco? That was definitely sackable. All right. This isn't a sackable situation. This is a every three game every three days against a very difficult schedule, and you came out of it relatively okay. I mean, still played well, played well enough to win a lot of those games, didn't get it done. But now, like Richard says, the schedule loosens up. So I'm not on this Ancelotti out bandwagon that people seem to be starting over there on the uh, among the Napoli fans. And neither are you, right? I'm not, correct. Okay. All right, so now that we've beaten Napoli to death, that, that got us through Saturday. Richard's going to give us the rest of what took place on Sunday. Yeah, so Sunday it looked like it was uh, some of the uh, Champions League teams or uh, con- teams in contention for Champions League. Uh, first of the team who uh, played like a Champions League team, that's Cagliari hosting for Fiorentina. Uh, they were winners 5-2. Uh, great, great team goal with Marco Rogue's goal in the 12th minute, uh, one of the goals of the week candidates there. Uh, in the 26th, 26th minute, uh, Pis- uh, Pisacane, he gets a goal, makes it 2-0 for Cagliari just like that. Uh, Eight minutes after that, uh, Diego, uh, Diego Simeone's, uh, scores the goal. Uh, Diego Simeone's son, excuse me, Giovanni Simeone scores the goal. Does not celebrate because it's his parent club he scores against. Uh, Actually cried. Sal- he cried and saluted, yeah. uh, and saluted, the, and saluted the fallen, uh, teammate from, uh, the year before. So, um, and they still played that little bubbly techno music in the background whenever Calgary score. Poor son of a bitch is crying out there. And, yeah. <laughs> and there, I don't know, his, his mother's probably a saint, but, um, but I just I I kind of found that amusing. You get the the kid out there scores a goal, he starts crying, and you're still going to play your little uh, techno music every time Calgary scores. 
Yeah, so. and then, yeah, it was, a, it was a big goal. It was one of the goal of the week candidates as well. Beautiful back heel flick uh, assist by Raja Nangolan, who had three assists in this game. Um, Jao Pedro, with a, I, I, I'm going to consider another goal of the week candidate. Uh, just Kaladi, just pumping out these beautiful goals. Um, lovely assist by Nangolan on his goal there, and then to round it out uh, for Kaladi Nangolan with with one of one of my top pick goals of the week. Um, Fiorentina, they did get a couple constellation goals through the Hayovic on the 75th and 87th, but this was all Cagliari all the time. Uh, lovely display by Cagliari at home. Uh, they are serious contenders this year for the for the Champions League spots. A team who, uh, who's who been leapfrogging them back and forth all season long, Lazio, they hosted Lecce. They would come out winners 4-2. Um, a lot of... Uh, I'm going to say BS calls by referees giving penalties out that like left and right to both teams. Uh, you know, no one had the favor there. Uh, walking Korea would get the first goal in the game uh, in the 30th minute. Lapadula would cancel it out in the 40th minute. Uh, then uh, in the 62nd minute, uh, there would be a goal by Milinkovic Savic. Uh, and shortly after there, there was a penalty called, uh, or excuse me, there was a, a save and then a goal by Lapadula uh, off a penalty save from Babacar. Uh, the goal was taken away due to VAR, saying it was offside. Good call on that play. A um, little bit after that, Immobile would end up getting a penalty opportunity um, with another with a, a another penalty, which we, I mentioned earlier. Uh, but 78th minute, he would score, makes his goal. Uh, 14 and 12 games uh, makes it three to two at that point, or three to one at that point. Joaquin Correa gets his brace in the 80th minute. And then to round it out, uh, Lecce would get a consolation goal from La Mantia. Uh, 4-2 winners for Lazio there. Um, one of the games of the week where we were hoping for, at least, between uh, Sampdoria hosting Atalanta turned out to be a 0-0 game. Uh, they didn't get the memo that uh, goals were being scored this weekend. Uh, many teams, both te- in particular, Atalanta had more of the opportunities, but uh, no goals will come in this one. So a 0-0 there. Another team, another game that had a zero zero written all over it, and, and, and that's what we got. Um, even it waited till the last, uh, I want to say, ninety eighth minute, where a penalty would be awarded. Uh, Petania steps up. Uh, apparently, he ate too much during the game because a beautiful save by Musso, one of the plays of the weekend uh, for sure. But zero zero, that was pretty much the, the the bulk of the highlights in that one. Um, and then to round out my batch of the games, uh, Parma hosting Roma. Roma, great opportunity to keep pace with uh, Lazio and Cagliari for the Champions League spots. However, Parma with their uh, with their great tifo before the game, uh, they came to play. Uh, first, it was a substitute, uh, Sprocati, in the 68th minute, coming off for an injured Gervinho. He would score a goal, uh, make it one nothing, and then in stoppage time. Uh, cue the uh, cue the music. Uh, Cornelius scores in the 93rd minute, seals the victory two nothing. Paulo Fonseca's team loses uh, shockingly. Uh, Parma's continuing to rise up the table. They're up to eighth at the moment. Um, so those uh, those are the games of the uh, on Sunday, and there were some entertaining ones and some dull ones. Yes, there were. Um, let me start with Sampdoria and Claudio Ranieri. Since he has taken over, three clean sheets in five games. Um, and yep. uh, just one conceded in another game where they got a draw. And out of those, he's got six out of a possible 15 points that might not seem like a big deal, uh, but it's it's an it's it's certainly a progression from where this team was. Um, they've only conceded three goals in the last five games. They conceded 16 in the first seven under Di Francesco. So. Ranieri has really reined this thing in defensively. They're they're much much better now. Um, 
They've got to find a way to score. Uh, they've got to find playmakers. I mean, you've got a guy like Fabio Quagliarello who can who can bag goals for you. Um, Gabbiadini, uh, another capable goal scorer for you. But where is the creativity and service going to come from? Guys like Jakob Janko have to step up uh, for me uh, in, in, in his role. You know, Gaston Ramirez, he came on as a substitute and played a role in, in Sampdoria beating Spa last week. So it's there, and you can see them – making progress under Ranieri. Uh, it's not showing up in the table yet, but it soon will. Uh, they sit 18th. That's not going to last. And I should also point out, it's six points in the last five games. They only had three points in the first seven as well. So a team that's made considerable improvement in a very short time um, under Claudio Ranieri, he's having an immediate effect over there, which is which is obviously very helpful. Um let me the other ones. I mean, uh, Immobile again. Uh, do I need to say it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, might as well keep the keep the trend going, huh? He's my pick. He's who I said. I said this man's going to get it done. He's going to win the Capocan Yeti this year, and we are on the Immobile goal tracker. Uh, he is on pace uh, with that goal. He is now on pace for forty-four goals this season in let's Serie A. Let's so do it. Let's do it. Let's get there. Let's get to forty. Let's have the first player to score 40 in Serie A. I mean, 44. I would love it. I'm, I'm demanding too much, but if there's anybody that's going to deserve to do it, it's him. He's in a system where it works out perfectly, uh, you know, so he gets it done. But this was a team performance from Lazio. Um, a little naive defensively in the goals that they conceded, but, you know, Joaquin Correa it continues to get better and better for them. And then um, uh, Milinkovic Savic showing up on the score sheet. Nice goal. Uh, beating yeah. a defender at the near post and tucking it away. It's one of my candidates. Uh, for goal of the week, largely because of the service. Um, I'm trying to, I gotta. And I'm gonna get on some Lazio fans now because uh, you know the last game at the Milan game, they kept kind of crying that it was some conspiracy theory with Milan cheating this and that. And I didn't hear any Lazio fans complaining this game. You know, with the big club syndrome. So you know, if you're gonna win or you know, if you win a game, you lose a game. Just take the game. Stop doing conspiracies left and right. That's for all the clubs, all the fans. I'm tired of hearing these conspiracy theories. It's weak, weak comment to make, and you know I don't want to hear it on on Twitter or anywhere else. So. Keep your conspiracy theories to yourself and just play the game and enjoy the win. Take the win, take the loss, whatever it is. But um, there's a few of them out there, and I'm just tired of hearing it. The only time it's funny is it's when it's with Juventus. Absolutely. Because, <laughs> for I mean, and on, and on both sides of the coin. Because when you accuse them of, of getting the calls and having the privilege and all of that other stuff, as we have done in the past, as I have done in the past, they are so triggered and so offended that you would even say that about them, but then when the when it when the tables have turned, so Champions League, <laughs> Champions League, like with Buffon, the referee has a is, is is has the heart of a rubbish bin or whatever the hell he said. <laughs> we all sit and laugh, you know, and it's just like it's it. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> you know what what you, the way you get treated in Europe is the. The way you get treated in Europe is the way we all get treated in Italy. <laughs> so, you know, um, that's about the only time when it's funny. But the rest of it, it just sounds like it just sounds like whining, and it doesn't. And maybe it's because Juventus have earned the right to be in a position where they can be offended by those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. When you're at the top, I guess that's that's the way it is. So, um, so, but anyway, uh, a Lecce team that's been pretty stingy, though. I mean, so. They 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 did what Juve couldn't do. They did what Milan couldn't do. They did what Sassuolo couldn't do. What Sampdoria couldn't do. I mean, Lecce was on a string of draws here. 
Yeah, um, they went up against a hot team in Lazio. Lazio are playing really lights out at the moment offensively and domestically. Um, domestically, domestically, yeah. Europe's another yes. Europe's another story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I they pissed that game away. So that was we'll we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, but Cagliari, oh um, goodness, I love it. Stand up and take notice. And uh, Nainggolan at it again. Um, I mean, uh, what the 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 the, uh, the the goal against um, Udinese uh, is still a better goal, but that's one of the goals of the year at the moment. Yeah, it is. It is. It is the goal. It is the goal of the year at the moment for me. But this one was special too. Um, you know, complete team performance uh, from three them. Assists from the, three assists from Ninja as well. What a game by him. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, he's really taken on the leadership of this team. Uh, they play; they're very inspired. They're impossible to beat uh, in Sardinia. But look at this. I mean, they're on a one, two, three, four, five. Well, I can't count. Ten games now. Ten, eleven games now. Is it ten or eleven? I don't. What? Did they play midweek? I can't remember. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, ten match unbeaten run there in Serie A. Just astounding. Then they're fourth, and they they have every right to be fourth, and they are going to be they're going to be extremely difficult to beat. They're ex- they're already extremely di- difficult to beat in Sardinia, and uh, now uh, can they get the away form? They obviously wanted Atalanta, so that was important. You they know, it Napoli showed them too, the- didn't they? I think so. Yeah, I was mean, it Rol- not? I think so. I think Rolando Maran has got to be the favorite right now for the coach of the year. Easy. Um, Easy. I mean, uh, what he's doing there is amazing. Uh, and, you know, teams going to Sardinia, I've always hated them. Now, it's our, now, Galeri is, is pretty good on the road as well. And um, this team is this team is serious. So uh, yeah. look at everyone else. And, what, and you mentioned last week about the, the, this, the difference defensively that, you know, that they had from a couple of years ago where they were the, by far the worst team defensively, giving up 70-plus goals in the season. And now they're one of the top defenses. So... Uh, amazing work from from management all the way down. So yeah, indeed, indeed. So um, I'm, uh, uh, you know, Cagliari, Lazio, because Lazio's third, Cagliari's fourth now. Um, you know, a couple of positions that when you take a look at how Atalanta, Roma, and Napoli have all done here uh, recently, these are positions that those three teams don't seem to want. I know we talked about Napoli at length, but Roma. Um, I mean, they're just uh, – is this your is, is this the Jekyll and Hyde team of Serie A right now? Because there will be days like when they went to Udinese, they were brilliant. When they beat Milan, they were brilliant. But then they, when they beat Napoli, they found a way to do it. And then this stinker against Parma. Granted, uh, Luigi Seppe had a lot to do with why Roma didn't get anything out of this game. Oh, he was amazing. But, um, but we, we see this all over the place. They went to Sampdoria, couldn't score against the Sampdoria team that were – Reeling. I mean, it was Ranieri's first game in charge. Um, but what are we to make of the Gialorossi here? It's it's. Uh, I feel yes. like they're they're the Jekyll and Hyde. They're kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team at the moment. Yeah, it seems like they have one way to play, and when teams figure that figure how to stop them defensively, they can't figure, find another you know Plan B or Plan C, and and so they just continue trying to do on. Other teams are like, all right, bring it on. We'll stop you, and we'll go score goals. And it's that's what we've had uh, throughout the year. Um, with them, so it's very Jekyll and Hyde. You know, they are the Lazio of of twenty twenty nineteen. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's very odd because they they play sometimes very beautiful and very attacking, and it's it's amazing to watch. And then in other games, they they throw up stinkers. And you're like, is this the same team as as EDF uh, managing these games? What's going on here? So, uh, it's very confusing. 
Yeah, it is. Definitely is. So, um, bottom of the table right now. I mean, we talked about Sampdoria. They're not going to be down there for long right now as things are going. Brescia, boy, I I want Brescia to be better than this. But, um, yeah, yeah. you know, but it it's still like- tight. Spall's on eight, sitting there in 19th. Genoa's on nine. Lecce's on 10. You just, I, I mean, I think it's got to be constant. Those are the four teams you're concentrating on at the rate that everybody else is going because Udinese, if there's going to be a, Udinese, I, I, I want to say that their table position flatters them there at 12th. But when you go to the, like, we, we, and we've been talking about this pretty regularly here the last few weeks, when you go to the Dacia, um, you're, it's, Tudor's got them set up to for you to be in for a 90-minute grind there. They're, you're not finding a lot of goals uh, over at the Friuli. No, and, and it's 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 good that they've got that form now at home because they were struggling so much both at home and away, and now at least they're getting some points while they're at home, and they're making it difficult for anyone that, that comes to the Dacia, and it, it, you, that's a start, and now they just got to build on, on that. Um, so while their position kind of flatters them, it's it doesn't really because they just had – uh, regain a form, if you want to call it that, over the last uh, month or so, uh, to give them the boost in points because they were in the, you know they were so low in the table before. So, um, yep. I think you know, with Brescia, the the weird thing is, it seems like as soon as Balotelli you know became a staple in the in the lineup, the team has not played well. Whether they're trying to go to him all the time or what, I don't know what's going on with that team. But they played so well to be in the season. It could have just been a fresh team coming to the league and nobody knows who they are. But maybe now they've been found out. I mean, who knows? But um, things aren't right at Brescia at the moment, and uh, Spall neither. But um, you know, they got at least Lecce and some of these other teams are still within range. I mean, it's three points from twentieth to sixteenth, so um, it's nothing like it's uh, dead, dead gone conclusion that uh, Brescia are going to be relegated. Brescia's winless in seven. Um, no, that doesn't help. And it uh, when they come back from the break, they go to Roma. Uh, then they host Atalanta, and then they're at Spal. Uh, so, and then they'll have a big six-pointer on December 14th against uh, Lecce. So uh, it's uh, it's it, it's going to get a little bit tighter and tougher for them. Uh, boy, Spal would have really liked Andrea Patania to put away that penalty against Udinese. That could have been a big help. Yeah, they would be sitting outside of the drop uh, if they had gotten those two extra points. Um. Uh, thoughts on Spa? Yeah, it's uh, that would have been a game I thought it would have been difficult because, it, as we said, that the, uh, going to the Dacia is a difficult place. But um, I thought they would have had you know more opportunities with, you know, either with Patania or, or whomever. Spa is a decent enough squad that they can you know get some goals in, and they're struggling at the moment. Um, you know, maybe losing guys like Lazzari and some of the other guys, Krunic and some of the other guys that they lost. Uh, um, it's really starting to affect them because their their creativity is just lacking it, you know, this season. So, um, yeah, I, it's it's a struggle. It's gonna be a struggle with them all year. Many people picked them for the drop this year, and you can kind of see why. It just uh, no one to really move the ball around and get it to Patania. It makes it hard to score goals, and even when he gets a penalty, apparently he can't score either. So, goalless in their last three too. Uh, so yeah, not good. Not good. Uh, and in. F- Goalless in four out of five, and then five out of seven. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, the, the finishing is a big issue. Um, I mean, and Patania is just a nine. He's just a striker. He's not going to create a lot of his own stuff. So the the creativity's got to happen. It's got to come from guys like Kurtic. Um, 
You've got to have guys like, uh, you know, Strathetsa, who's a young, useful player there on the right-hand side. Uh, you know, these guys need to step up and be able to provide some service to try to create some additional chances. And then Spall need to find somebody else. I mean, Patania can't do all the scoring. You've got to be able to also find someone that can shoulder that load a little bit. You've got Flockery there, who's a veteran. Uh, but then after that, you don't have a whole lot else. So, um, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be, it's going to definitely be a grind, uh, as far as, uh, as far as Spall's concerned for their, uh, survival prospects. So, um, goals of the week, uh, give us, uh, give us your five goals of the week that regardless of what I say, you're going to put on the video. <laughs> oh, see, you should at least you- tell everybody my five so, <laughs> so that. Fair In enough. case we disagree. <laughs> so. Fair enough. Um, so my top five, uh, my honorable mentions first, uh, Sepe with his save on Pastore. That was a brilliant save. He had a really, really good game. Um, Juan Musso save on Petania on the penalty kick in the 98th minute is honorable mention, as is Radu on Elmas from point blank and Sirigu's double save. So the goalie is getting a lot of love, but yep. I didn't make my top five. Uh, coming at number five for me, uh, this is a very Cagliari heavy. Um, uh, Giovanni Simeone back heel flick. Uh, coming at number four is uh, La Joya, Paolo Dybala, his game-winning goal against Milan. Number three is that Cagliari team goal by Marco Rogue. Uh, wonderful goal. I, I, mean, I know you love those team goals, too. Uh, that came at number three for me. Um, sticking with the Sardinian theme, uh, a former Sardinian player, uh, Nicola Barella with a beautiful goal, game-winning goal uh, for Inter. And then number one, we're, we're staying in Sardinia, Nayan Golan, game-winner. Or fifth goal of the game, I should say. Okay. All right, I, we're 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 close here. Um, we're relatively close. Uh, it's uh, I I think it is a it is definitely going to be a Cagliari theme, uh, current or former, at least for my top four. Um, I'm with you on the goalkeepers. I'll give them all honorable mention. I thought each 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 one of them were uh, terrific. Um, yeah, the uh, the save by Musso, performances by Sepe Radu and uh, Sirigu uh, were all. We're all terrific uh, in uh, in keeping. I think they all earned clean sheets, didn't they? Um, and Sirigu, yes, Musso, um, Sepe, and Radu. Yeah, all of them uh, getting clean sheets. So nice, nice. goalkeepers uh, turned out, turned up, and uh, and did really well this week in a week where we saw some uh, some very nice goals. Um, and uh, I am pretty Cagliari centric, current and former players with my top five. Uh, number five, I'm going with uh, Joao Pedro. Um, yep. Just a beautiful counterattack and clinical finish there. Uh, Nangalan playing him in perfectly for that. Uh, Simeone's back heel flick for the uh, for the for the number four spot. Um, like that finish there. Uh, the team goal with Marco Rug for me, number three. And then uh, I'm going to reverse one and two. Nangalan uh, gets my gets number two. There's a lot of weeks where that's the number one goal of the week. Uh, but the winner for Nicolo Barella of Inter. Uh, just class, um, pure quality, and uh, not going to rival Nangalan's uh, volley goal for goal of the season, but uh, no. going to be going to be at the table when we talk about goals of the season at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I'm loving the quality love because they deserve it, uh, and then all their goals this week uh, were brilliant, or even the former players. So yeah, good stuff from coming out of the Sardinia. Winners and losers. Uh, I will say uh, a winner for me is. Lazio, uh, bouncing back after the disappointment uh, against uh, 
Celtic and the Europa League, which we'll talk about here shortly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, being able to seize control, beat a Lecce team that has been stingy to the likes of Milan and Juventus, among others, uh, and getting the full three points and finding themselves in third. Uh, so for me, Lazio is uh, the winner this week. Um, the uh, losers for me this week uh, has to be Roma. Uh, what a rough week for them. I mean, they uh, they they lose at Mönchengladbach, which I kind of thought would happen, uh, and then they follow that up with a with a performance at Parma that while they created a lot of opportunities and probably should have gotten something out of this game, they didn't, and that's what's keeping them from you know, the sitting in the top four where they normally find themselves, uh, you know, maybe with the exception of last year. So, uh, so my winner this week, um, uh, Lazio, my loser, Roma. So I kept it in the capital, Richard. Ah, that's, uh, that's good. That's, and it's, it's, it's sort of in the direction where I'm heading with my, my losers. Uh, but the winners for me, I'm going to say the, uh, I'm going to say Sardinia because Galliard is, you know, big win, uh, 5-2 against Fiorentina as well as Barella with his wonderful goal. Uh, and then losers for me are the three teams chasing Cagliari and Lazio, and that'll be Atalanta with uh, a um, a dull performance or a uh, a trap game after the Man City game, and then Roma with the with the dud that you just mentioned there, and then Napoli with all their struggles in house uh, that they can't seem to get a get it right. Um, so those are the, those are my three losers right there. Excellent stuff. Goals of the week, winners and losers. Go to at Serie A sit down on Twitter, Instagram. Did we get it right? Uh, do you have any disagreements? Tell us what you think. Go there. Uh, let's break down what happened in Europe. All right. So everything began on Tuesday, Richard. Uh, and then we're just going to talk table here. Uh, and uh, not a not a very good week in general for Serie A, uh, you know, in terms of the results. At least Tuesday did not go well. Um, Barcelona was the early game uh, on was an early game on Tuesday against at home against Slavia Prague nil nil draw. Uh, so getting position is there for the taking for Inter uh, to get ahead of Borussia Dortmund and uh, had their chance to do it. Uh, they were up 2-0. They lose 3-2. I watched the second half of this game. I can't believe how... I mean, Borussia is a very talented team, can be very, very dangerous going forward, but that is not what you would expect from an Antonio Conte-managed team. They were all over the place. Yeah, I mean, the, the first goal by Latura Martina was brilliant, brilliant goal on Vecino, you know, to make it 2 nothing. And Inter were looking, like, by far the superior team, and then you know they went to halftime and I don't know what happened they gave life to Dortmund for no you know for no reason and all you got to do with Dortmund is give them a little opportunity and then they will turn on cuz they've been mostly off this season but when they get when they when they get a goal to turn them on they're on so uh, that's unfortunately what happened for for Inter and they allowed them to come in two quick goals and then and then obviously the game winners so um I don't know what to make of an Antonio Conte team like uh the way he had and his, you know, his complaint that he had talking about the Sassuolo players and Cagliari players on his team, uh, it's it's uh, low blow and, and uncalled for. Uh, really, it starts with you, buddy, at halftime, not making the proper adjustments or making the proper adjustments in the second half as the team is capitulating. So um, unfortunate and uh, embarrassing loss, really, for Internazionale. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and then Napoli... I mean, completely dominated RB Salzburg, at least in terms of chances. Outshot them 29-12, to 12, as we discussed. Uh, 
had an opportunity to maintain a one-point lead over Liverpool heading into Anfield uh, on match day five. Instead, they find themselves in just enough trouble um, with uh, drawing Salzburg 1-1. They're now second in Group E um, to Liverpool. Um, and now that all-important game at Anfield, uh, at first they got Milan in front of them. So, I mean, it's none of this is coming at the right time for Napoli. And I... I struggle to think that they're going to get anything out of Anfield. Um, they probably will be more than happy with a draw, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to uh, pull any more than that out of there. The way that Liverpool are playing right now, and the way Napoli are having their struggles, and we kind of broke things down. A very difficult schedule, playing once every three game, three days, and playing difficult opponents. But I, I I'm. In a few weeks' time, I want. I hope they can pull the stunner and win at Anfield. Liverpool is known for a clunker at home here and there uh, throughout the course of the season. I just, I, I don't see it happening, and they're going to find themselves needing to qualify at home against Gank on the last day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, had they had the game been, you know, this Wednesday after you know their win against Man City, you could say maybe they get a trap game and get a chance for uh, to be down. But no, I don't think so. Coming out after international break. I think Liverpool are probably primed and ready for that game. Uh, you know, probably still reeling from the defeat last year to Napoli, so uh, they probably want to get revenge in that respect. So yeah, it's going to be a tough game for them to uh, to try to get three points. Uh, but they, you know, they have an opportunity with Milan and Napoli do to try to get back on track and and get that swagger back and try to pl- get up for the for the for the Liverpool match because that's going to be such a huge game. They can they're ill afford to lose that game. They need to at least get a draw on that one because you kind of have to expect that Salzburg is going to get the win in their game. So. It'll be even more interesting if that's if that's the case and, and Napoli lose. So let's hope for uh, at least a minimum of a draw. Yep, yep. Yeah, if they can get a draw out of that, that'll take a little bit of the pressure off. You got to think that Salzburg are going to beat Gank and be on seven points. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, you know Napoli are going to need to rely on uh, getting at least three points at, against Gank if they if they do that and 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 win in, win against the Belgians on match day six. They're in. They're they're, they're in as the second place team. Uh, but they're in nonetheless, which is a better position than where they were uh, a year ago. So, uh, and then coming back to Inter, they're now third on four points. Um, they still own the head-to-head on Borussia Dortmund, the aggregate, uh, because they won the two-nil. They won two-nil at the San Siro, so they've got a one-goal edge on aggregate over Borussia Dortmund. Uh, so they've got to find a way. First of all, they've got to go to Prague and get it done. They've got to hope that Barcelona can beat Borussia Dortmund, which is a which is a lot to ask. But even if that doesn't happen, Inter do control their destiny to one extent or another. You know, because if Barcelona can beat uh, Borussia Dortmund, okay, um, then it comes down to – and if Inter can beat Slavia Prague, now it comes down to Inter needing to uh, beat Barcelona to win the group. But anyway, Inter win their last two games, they're going to go through. I mean – and they're at home against Barcelona for match day six. They go to Slavia Prague. And Slavia Prague, you look at it at the table and, and it doesn't look all that flattering, but Slavia Prague have been a pain in the ass to all three of these teams in this group. They most certainly Wait. have. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, yeah, they've been they've been a pest to everybody. I mean, as Barcelona, Barcelona fans were ready to sack their coach after getting they were getting dominated by Slavia Prague and in Barcelona. So um, Slavia Prague is no slouch, and they're giving everybody headaches at the moment. So 
uh, Inter need to find a way to win that game. It's going to be difficult, especially uh, especially on the road. But uh, it has to be done. If they you know if they if they win, they they they're still under destiny. If they lose this, then it, you might as well you know call it done. Go to Europa League. But uh, it's going to be a big game, a must win game against Slavia Prague. I'm looking up. Hold on, I'm looking up the matches for match day, um, match day five. Okay, no, they're going to play at the same time. I thought that maybe with the game being in Prague that they would play like the early game and then Barcelona, Borussia Dortmund would be the later game. By the way, Barcelona, Borussia Dortmund is at the Camp Nou. So, um, but they're playing at the same time. I just was worried that maybe if Inter was at Slavia Prague and that was the early game and somehow Inter lost, um, that Barcelona and Borussia Dortmund would do like a West Germany-Austria. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, each take a point and then just uh, qualify uh, for the next stage. So, But, no, they're all playing at the same time, so they're all going to have to go out and play. So that's good. Um, so that's that's how those groups break down. Uh, Juventus, let's just get them out of the way. They've already qualified for the last 16. Now it's all about trying to get the deal done uh, as far as qualifying for uh, at top spot of Group D to avoid some of these big boys that are going to be group winners. They'll do that with a win over Atletico Madrid or a nil-nil or 1-1 draw. Uh, so those are the permutations for Juventus to go ahead and seal qualification. Uh, the other thing they can do is just go ahead and do the draw and then uh, get another point against at Bayer Leverkusen in Germany. So there's a lot of different ways. I mean, it looks really good right now. Juventus do get Atletico Madrid coming to the J for match day five. I can't see any scenario other than them uh, winning this group. Uh yeah yeah I mean they'd have to throw up a sticker against Atleti to uh, ruin those chances but yeah I, I think they're they're the odds-on favorite um, just get some draws here and you can seal up you can seal up the the first place uh, there and uh, you'd expect them to it's it's at Juventus and uh, you, you we fancy them you know not only winning the group but also uh, going deep into this tournament so this is just the first step in getting in doing that what a goal from Douglas Costa though to win against Lokomotiv oh, Moscow yeah. brilliantly yeah. done between him and uh, Iguain. So one of the better goals of the Champions League uh, so far this season. Ah, okay, so um, AC Mil- there's no way AC Milan can do anything more embarrassing at the San Siro than what Manchester City did at the San Siro against Atalanta, <laughs> uh, having to put Kyle Walker in goal, who actually made a very critical save on a free kick. Um, but any- that notwithstanding, Atalanta, so you're saying there's a chance. Um, they win at home against Dinamo Zagreb. And if City beat Shakhtar Donetsk, it now comes down to um, it now comes down to if Atalanta can go to Shakhtar and win on match day six. Okay, so they have to be they have to win their last two games, and they have to hope City. Um, if I'm getting this right, they have to win their last two games, and they got to hope that City don't lose their last two games. Is really what it comes down to. Um, and if that happens, Atalanta second, and they're, and they're after that disastrous beginning, they're in the last sixteen. Yeah, <laughs> leave leave it to them to finally turn it on. They look they look like the Napoli we expected to against Man City um, in this past. The Napoli, the Napoli we expected to against yeah, Man well, City. Atalanta, Atalanta. <laughs> I see beautiful. I, when I see beautiful soccer, I think Napoli. But it's Atalanta these days who are doing the beautiful soccer, beautiful football. Um, so leave it to them to wait wait so late. So yeah, if they can get if they can get two results here, 
um, and hope that City hold up their end of the bargain. They could sneak into the second spot, which would be amazing. At, you know, after the catastrophe that they had, you know, to start the the Champions League campaign, and um, imagine that you know team that everyone would ridicule uh, in Champions League. Like, why is this team even here? And they sneak in. That would be just that would be just fantastic to see. And uh, you just like to see Atalanta playing, not Napoli, but Atalanta playing. You know, the way we know them to play, and, and that's attractive football. Um, and I'm glad it finally came came to fruition. Hopefully, they can keep it going in the Champions League and uh, Syria. Um, message to uh, uh, Balden Bergamo and uh, to Connor Clancy, um, if you're listening. I only do podcasts with this guy, just in case you want to direct your anger directed at him. So. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. They, 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 Atalanta came out and looked like the Napoli we wanted to see. It's just that'll go down and that'll go down in Serie A. Sit down lower, I think. So, or maybe it wasn't that funny. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> there's a chance for Atalanta, but boy, they're going to need a lot to happen. And, and a lot of this is their own doing. They, they on match day two, I saw that game against Shakhtar, and yes, they should have beaten them. Um, squandered a lot of chances there, uh, and we'd be having a much different conversation about them right now if they were able to get that win. Um, so the Europa League is a uh, uglier picture uh, altogether. Uh, Lazio losing to Celtic. Celtic have grabbed one of the two spots in their group with that win. Um, so that's uh, let's see here. That's 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 out for them. Um, I'm trying to find their group that they're in. They're third on just the three points uh, that they have, um, which they got. I believe they got that against Stade Rene. Um, Cluj sit on nine points. So Lazio have to beat Cluj at the Olympico to have a chance. Um, and then they have to hope that Celtic remain invested when uh, – they go to Cluj on match day six. So it does not look good. I'm just going to say this right now. I think Lazio is done with the Europa League at the group stage. Yeah, unfortunately. And I don't think they're going to be bothered by that because sitting in third right now, it looks like they have a bigger ambition, which is reaching the Champions League next year. So <clears throat> so that's uh, that's what could certainly be uh, on the cards for them. So, um, you know, and then as far as uh, Roma are concerned, um uh, Took that loss to Munchen Gladbach. Uh, they lose out on the head-to-head aggregate with them. They will go to Turkey next to play Basaksa here, um, and then they'll finish by hosting Volsberger. So there's everything to play for. They control their destiny. They win both their games. They'll qualify, uh, and um, <clears throat> I think they can go to Istanbul and win narrowly. And then when they come home to play Volsberger, and a, a team that they got to be on their game for. Um, but a team that I think that they can take care of business at the Olympico, I actually see I see Roma going through. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly uh, the destiny is in their own hands, and um, they they already showed that they can play with Bisaksa here, and uh, you would expect them to be Wolfsburger too. So there's two winnable games that there that you know uh, get those wins and, and and get onto the second round. Doesn't matter where you place, um, but just get out of the group stages. It's going to be key for Roma. Um, I think it's they they need they need all the kind of uh, um, good mojo they can get because uh, obviously this up and down they need to find some consistency both in Europa League but also in Syria as well so maybe you know getting getting through this from the group stages would be a good way to get that gain that confidence sure sure so that's the European roundup that's where everything stands let's finish up by uh, looking at uh, Mancini's call ups Richard 
Um, makes a few changes. These are these are friendlies, really. I mean, Italy have qualified for Euro 2020, uh, so an opportunity to experiment uh, for Roberto Mancini, and this uh, this selection would suggest that altogether. Uh, but let's look at how what he selected here. Uh, goalkeepers didn't really take much of a break from the norm. Gianluigi Noruma of Milan, Pierluigi Golini of Atalanta, Alex Merit of Napoli, and Salvatore Sirigu of Torino. They're the, they're, they're the four best Italian goalkeepers playing right now. Yes, absolutely. Any thought to Luigi Seppe maybe deserving to get a spot in this team if you're going to experiment and give guys a look? Yeah, you know, I was, you know, during a game against uh, Roma, you know, I was thinking, I was like, man, he's, he's had some really good performances this year for Parma, and I think he he absolutely deserves a uh, a sniff and an opportunity, especially in these you know quote unquote friendly games um, against uh, uh, Bosnia, Bosnia Herzegovina, and um, Armenia. So um, why not? He's he's had some big games this year. He's he's been called on a lot to make some saves because his team doesn't play the great def- greatest defensively at times. So. Um, he's turning. He's really turning into a solid goalkeeper, and so you should give him an opportunity. Yep. Um, defenders, and there's going to be some new names in here. Uh, Francesco Acerbi of Lazio, Cristiano Beraghi of Inter, Leonardo Benucci of Juventus. Uh, here's a new name, Andrea Cistana of Brescia. I think very well deserved. In fact, yeah. uh, for as bad as Brescia have been, I I like his game. I think the guy's got some potential. Um, Giovanni Di Lorenzo of Napoli. Uh, Emerson of Chelsea, Alessandro Florenzi of Roma for some reason, um, Armando Izzo of Torino, Gianluca Mancini of Roma, Alessio Romagnoli of Milan, and Leonardo Spinazzola of Roma. Um, Cistana in there, uh, really the the new name among them. Um, why does Florenzi continue to get called up? He has uh, compromising pictures of Mancini apparently, and so... Uh, that's the only reason I can think, because uh, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, he doesn't even play that well for Roma at the moment or any time. Uh, so I don't know why he continues. I mean, he's been there. That, that that shouldn't be a reason for him to be playing at all. I don't know. I just don't know. Or I thought Al Shirawi had those compromising pictures, or maybe he made copies and gave them to. He's more warranted than Florenzi, though. <laughs> maybe he is. I I just. Um... When you're looking at uh, when you're looking at some of these young players and some of these young, you know, some of these young Italian players, uh, if you're going to experiment, if you're going to look at guys, what about De Paoli from Sampdoria? Oh, yeah. um, I mean, this is an opportunity to bring some different guys in, um, you know. And I'm just I'm just spitballing here a little bit, but Fabio De Paoli has put in some decent games for Sampdoria here uh, in their recent run. Um, he's a guy. If you're looking for a fullback, that would be a guy that. Hey, bring him into the camp and see what he's got. Um, he's he's just one. Uh, there's I'm sure there's others. There's some others out there. Um, if I took the time, but I want to I want to carry on with this. Let's go to midfielders. Uh, Nicolo Barella of Inter, uh, Gaetano Castrovilli of Fiorentina, very well deserved. Absolutely. Uh, Jorginho of Chelsea, Rolando Mandragora of Udinese, Marco Verratti of Peri San Germain. That is now not true. He's out through injury. It is Sandro Tonali of Brescia in his place, and then Nicolo Zaniolo of Roma. Very young midfield here. Um, so Jorginho is going to start, Barella is going to start, and then after that, I going to be interesting to see how he rounds out that midfield for these games. Yeah, I mean, you would probably give the the tip to uh, Zaniolo, but I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing the other other players, Catarvili, 
uh, Mandragora and uh, Tonali play as well, see what they can do together um, in one of those games. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it should be interesting who the third person will be with Barella and um, uh, Jorginho. So, I mean, should be, it should be, it should be Zaniola, but we'll see. Yep. Yep, we'll see. Uh, and then forwards, Andrea Bellotti of Torino, Domenico Berardi of Sassuolo, very, very well-deserved. The guy's been on yes, fire. He, yes. he struggled against Bologna, but, I mean, he has put in some good games for Sassuolo this season. Uh, Federico Bernadeschi of Juventus, Federico Chiesa of Fiorentina, uh, Stefan El Sharawi of Shanghai Shenhua for some reason, uh, Ciro Immobile of Lazio, Lorenzo Insigne of Napoli, and then Ricardo Orsolini, a well-deserved call-up uh, from Bologna. Um, why does I I still don't get why El Shadawi continues to get called up? Um, and Insigne has been pretty poor as, as of late as well, but I understand why he's there. Yeah, I mean, I actually thought Insigne played well uh, in the at least in the Champions League game when I watched him against Salzburg. I thought he looked good. Um, still plays with a lot of energy. Still tries to pound out a lot of chances. Uh, so, um. Again, another spot where you could probably take a look and do you, do you really need some of these guys, you know, to play in this particular situation? Do you really need El Shadawi to come all the way over from China? Um, you know, when that spot can go to let me just let me just give you some names here and see what you think. Okay. Um, Patanya. I mean, yeah. There's not much he can do other than be a nine. Uh, but there's not much that El Sadawi does for this national team when he plays for them either. So, <laughs> fair point, fair point. Um, you know, I think Vare is probably a little bit of a reach uh, from yeah. Verona, although he's turned in some decent he's turned in some decent performances for them. Um, I think that I think there's some other ways that they 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 could have gone here instead of continuing to bring El Shadawi into the fold. So, just. You know, if you want to try to create some controversy or say, you know, who the snubs are. Other than that, let me let me throw a name at you that maybe and tell me what you think. Matteo Mancosu of Lecce. I was just thinking about that. You know, see how he does in a national team environment. Uh, yeah, he's done well for Lecce this so far this year. He's been really their catalyst, and sure, it'd be interesting to see how he he would do in a setting like with the Azzurri. Sure, sure. I've got I've got no disagreement with that whatsoever. So, um, but yeah, so those are the. I mean. Those are the players that are going to get called up. There's really no point in predicting how these games are going to go because they're meaningless at this point. Italy have qualified. Uh, But, I mean, really, I think, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. We just want to see continuity of Mancini's project with just different people in the mix. Yeah, absolutely. You want to see the product continue to develop well, um, but just different players and see how they do. Absolutely. All right. So with that, we're putting a bow on this edition of Serie A Sit Down. Uh, Richard, uh, anything you want to plug away? Yeah, um, so we're obviously we're going to do the top five coming up for this week, and then um, the Tiago Mota piece will be coming out as well very shortly. And then I'm also going to do a little piece, uh, you know, we talked so much about Cagliari and the love we've given them, giving a piece on uh, Rolando, uh, Rolando Maran as well, so to show us, uh, to show how he's been doing, what he's been doing at Cagliari. So that's just a little bit about what's going on on YouTube. And then as always, you can find me anywhere at r underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Excellent stuff. Uh, you can find me at FTC underscore 21. Uh, I don't know if this is something that I'm saying on behalf of uh, Serie A's sit down as a whole on the podcast, but at least for the podcasts that I'm on, uh, and I have a pretty detailed thread on Twitter uh, on my page at FTC underscore 21. Um, I've just I've come to a very conscientious decision uh, to no longer discuss the racism 
uh, and racist behavior that's going on in the stadia in Syria. Um, I've uh, laid out my reasons on Twitter. Uh, I'll go through this once because this will be the last time Richard I ever want to talk about racism on Syria sit down uh, and here and uh, I'll uh, but I will be very clear and very concise in what I had to say and uh, here it is. You know, I've come to the revelation that I'm no longer going to discuss the racist behavior going on in Syria on Syria sit down. You know and I know my position on racism. I condemn it. There's nothing more than I need there's nothing more I need to say than that. Continuing to discuss racist behavior on a weekly basis only seems to be giving these idiots, uh, ultras, the attention they want. And yes, ultras are largely idiots. I don't care if you come after me for saying this. Fans get behind their team and their players regardless of their skin color. That's the distinction between fans and ultras and the idiots or ultras have a long way to go in proving me otherwise. Calcio is run and sometimes managed by people whose values came from another time, and that time wasn't correct either. Now, not only are they racist, but they are maddeningly and sadly ignorant people. They rather put their head in the sand and wish the problem away. So this is the last time I talk about it. We know it's bad. We know it sucks. Consider this a universal blanket statement by me condemning all, condemning all racist behavior in football instead of having to keep discussing on a case-by-case basis. I'm tired of giving the idiots the attention. Hashtag basta. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the calcio on the pitch we'll talk about some pol- some calcio politics off the pitch that aren't going to be racially motivated or racially charged or anything like that um you know you know things like that so you can find that whole thread on on twitter and if you want to fight me on it go ahead and fight me on it um it just you know we want to put a quality podcast out and we want to talk about what's going on on the pitch because what, what's going on on the pitch is pretty damn good so and I don't want to give the attention to the idiots anymore, Richard. So neither do I. No. So um, so at FTC underscore twenty one, Seria Sit Down is uh, available on iTunes and SoundCloud, where we have our own channels. It's available on Spotify. It's available on Stitcher. Just about any format that plays podcasts, you can find us. Uh, so uh, Seria Sit Down on YouTube. Like, subscribe to uh, the channel. Like the videos. Richard puts out some really good content on there. Um, he puts out his goals of the week and not mine, um, which he's doing the, he's doing the video. So I suppose he can. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to just start putting in the comments section. Uh, uh, Frank doesn't think this should be the top five. And then, uh, maybe we can start some banter that way. So, uh, do give us all your support. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us and, uh, enjoy, uh, the international games. Um, uh, You'll, you know you're going to watch Italy because you're a fan, even though the games have no meaning to them anymore. Uh, but watch them anyway. Um, and then, uh, Richard, are we going to be back in a couple of weeks, or do you think we'll come back and talk international? Uh, I guess we'll see. We'll play by ear. Uh, n- not sure. We'll, we'll see. We might get bored. So we might get bored, yeah. We might get bored. So, but we'll be back the following week because it's going to get tasty. Juve, Atalanta, Na- Milan, Napoli, among the others. So uh, do be ready here when uh, the uh, clubs return because it's uh, – we're not going to we're not going to take baby steps to get back into it after the break. We're going to just haul we're just going to haul ass right into it. So um, but thank you. For, thank you again for uh, your loyalty. Thank you again for listening to us here on City on Sit Down for Richard. I'm Frank. And as always, be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.